You're listening to the Broken Meeple Podcast, hosted by Luke Hector, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. This show is about board and card games, and dedicated to you, the people who play them. Whether you're a hardcore gamer or a newcomer to the hobby, I hope this show is both informative and entertaining. I invite you to sit back and enjoy. The answer to the ultimate question is indeed episode 42, kicking off with first impressions of German Railroads, Dungeon Pets, and Pandemic Legacy, my one more game segment tackles Smash Up, and then my top 10 quote-unquote fantasy games for your viewing pleasure. Hello, welcome to episode 42, just in time for the end of March and shortly before some fairly major events that are going to be going on in the next few days, starting with StabCon, which I will be attending for the majority of its running time. It runs in Southampton at the Jury Inn from Friday evening all the way through to Sunday evening around 6 o'clock start and 6 o'clock Sunday finish. It is a... It's kind of like the baby child of the StabCon convention that takes place further up north. But this is one that's more local and is essentially just a gathering of friends convention. It's one where you just go there and play games. And if you want to buy something, there's always board game extras who set up shop there. And if you're into LCGs in particular, it's a perfect place to buy stuff. But they do have some quality games as well. I will be attending that through most of the running time. And I say most because Dice Portsmouth, the soon-to-be up-and-running board game cafe in Portsmouth, have another event going on on the 2nd of April at the historic Dockyard Action Stations venue, except this time it's an evening session where not only do I get to play board games and more than likely teach them the people, but they also have a bar where I can actually get a decent pint and Laser Quest up for grabs as well, and I do enjoy Laser Quest. doesn't hurt like paintball, but you can still run around like a crazy lunatic with a cool laser gun and shoot people. And I know they say you're not allowed to run, but let's face it, who listens to that rule? Honestly, come on. It's going to be a fun evening, but sadly it does clash with StabCon, so for Saturday evening I will be at the Action Station's dockyard, and for the rest of the weekend I will be at StabCon. Now, I also want to give a shout-out to another venue that I've been attending in recent weeks that's got up and running now, and that is a new board game cafe called Board in the City, which is based in Southampton on Onslow Road. Now, this one started up in a different way to most of the board game cafes. This one is a community interest company, and what that means for those of you that aren't quite savvy with the whole business thing is that it's effectively not-for-profit. Everything that is earned through this that isn't paying a basic salary to employees who are mostly volunteers at the moment as opposed to actually employees is devoted to the cafe and its running. It is there for the purpose of benefiting the local community. 
Now I've been there a few times and it's still a work in progress. They've managed to get it open and they're slowly doing it up. Now this includes back rooms, this includes like toilets and things like that. You know, they're just basically working it up, getting it all nice and finished. But for now, there are some good tables in there and some good gaming space. It's not not the most spacious thing in the world. You may have to cram around a little bit, but it's not it's nowhere near as bad as I've seen in other places. But generally it's well lit. The staff are incredibly friendly. I have never seen such friendly staff in a board game cafe yet to date. And I mean that very sincerely. These people will come around your table every so often, even just to ask about the game you're playing, let alone, you know, just to also ask whether you need drinks served or stuff taken away. And yes, this place does food and drink. No alcohol. They've got to keep things relatively tidy and, you know, nice and safe for family goers. But that doesn't bother me too much because they have a nice range of herbal teas that I can enjoy at my leisure. But so far, this has been going quite strongly. I hope it um, gets better in the future. I am an advocate for these kinds of places, the board game cafes and so on. And I want every single one to succeed. Doesn't matter how it starts, who runs it, I want them all to succeed. And with Board in the City already up in Southampton, and Dice Portsmouth soon to be up and running during the summer, we hope, in Portsmouth, then I've got a lot of good stuff to look forward to in terms of local board game cafes. But... What else has been going on? Well, not to mention too much. Everything's generally ploughing along, shall we say, in life. My birthday's next Monday. I'm going to be 32 years old. I feel about twice as old as that. But, oh well, that's the way. You can't fight age forever. And naturally, it's going to happen. You're going to get older. Will I get any new board games for my birthday? Probably not, because most of the time I don't actually get anything for my birthday apart from a little bit of cash. We're not not—we're kind of at the age where we're not really asking for stuff present-wise. Me and my brothers, we just kind of like prefer to go home and have a nice roast meal with the family and that. And I've already been and done that over Easter. So, to be honest, Monday is pretty much just going to be go to work, get some cake, and that's about it. Okay, not the most entertaining birthday ever. I do have some other meals out planned later in the week. But, ah well, can't get everything, I suppose. But, as for everything else, the house move that I mentioned before is now up and running and it's in full swing. I've reserved a place and I've got a buyer. In September time, I hope, it will be fully completed and I will move in around that time. I have already paid in full for my Geekasun gaming table. And I know exactly where it's going to go in the house. So my dedicated gaming room is going to be set up how I like it. You know, some IKEA Kallax shelves and the table in the middle and stuff on the walls. I hope by then I'll even have a Risk Legacy and a Pandemic Legacy board to stick on the wall as well. Of course, that will mean I'll have to put spoiler warning on the front door or something every time anyone walks in. But otherwise, I think the room's going to be great and I cannot wait to be in that scenario because when that happens, not only will hopefully sound quality improve on the podcast because I don't have to record in areas where noise might be heard from outside, but I'm hoping that I'll be able to get back into video because then I'll have a nice room, a nice table, soundproofing, and all I need is some new cameras and microphones which is probably the slight issue money i'm gonna have just moved into a house so it's going to be difficult to afford that stuff straight away so you may have to wait a little bit but i am considering doing a kind of 
mini kickstarter shall we say you know like a a small kickstarter project to get the next season shall we call it season two of the broken meeple on youtube underway with all new updated sound and video and hopefully some new graphics and stuff like that that would be an idea i would pursue but we'll find out more nearer the time for now let's just actually get in the house and set up the game room wouldn't that be a good start But anyway, that's enough waffle for now. Let's get started with episode 42. There's a fair amount of content to pack in here, including three first impressions. So, let's make a start. Okay, this is going to be a very, very quick first impression because to be fair I've not actually played all elements of this. This was one I forgot to talk about when I was on my SawCon episode because it was actually the first game I played at the event and this was Russian Railroads. Now I've already played Russian Railroads, in fact I used to own it myself so this isn't the first impression of the base game. What this is is a first impression of the German Railroads expansion for it. Now I say I haven't played all of it because it has a solo mode, quite Clearly, I've not played that. And the guy who was teaching us did not teach us the Coal Age uh, edition, which involves using a different resource that can be used to improve locomotives and factories and a new building called Foundries because we were teaching new players Russian railroads in general, so we left it out. Personally, I think we could have managed with it, but no big deal. So to be fair, the only thing I'm able to give my opinion on is the new boards. Now... What happens in Russian Railroads is that you normally have these three different tracks that you build up the different colours of tracks on, starting with black and then grey and then cream and then white and that. I mean, the theme is tacked on like you wouldn't believe, but it's effectively a point salad game. But it's a really cool point salad game and I really like it. But what put me off keeping it in my collection a while back was because the three tracks got very samey and there were a couple of strategies that tended to work better than others. So... You didn't really get much variety in the game, and that usually puts me off. This one, though, fixes that problem hands down. Because in this one, you get three new tracks. It's the same sort of style of play, same sort of rules. However, the long track splits into two. So you've got two different ways that you can go, and you have to choose one, and you cannot double back. Now, there's already a little bit of variety in that. But that's not the best thing. The best thing is that the other two tracks have got modular railroads. Yes, some of the spaces are blank when you start the game. It is not until you build the track up to that point where it's blank normally that you get to choose from a collection of other tracks, you know, other like cardboard tiles that you put on the board to simulate what bonuses you're going to get. And there's quite a lot of them. There's at least, I think, 12, if not possibly 15 plus of these. And they're all fairly different. They'll give you different bonuses. They'll give you, like, once a turn effects. They'll give you, you know, more more buying power, more track lane power. Whatever it is you want, whatever your current strategy happens to be, chances are there's a modular track for it. And that just blew my mind. Even without the Coal Age bit. And I think the Coal Age edition sounds pretty cool. And I would like to try it. But the German board alone with those modular pieces is enough to make this, I think, an essential expansion for Russian railroads if you think it's starting to get stale. Because I guarantee you it will not be stale when you add these modular tracks in. So that's all I can really comment about German railroads from one play of it. 
but let's just say it almost and I may still even do it it might make me repurchase the original game if I can get this expansion with it that's how much of an effect it had on me so German railroads well worth giving a look if you have the base game already Before I get on to my second first impression, just a quick note, if you think my voice sounds a little bit weird at the moment, it's because I'm still recovering from a bit of a cold and my sinus is kind of playing up, so apologies for that. But my second first impression, and that is Dungeon Pets by Vlada Shavatel. Now, I didn't particularly like Dungeon Lords. A mate of mine had been getting me to try it for so long, and I sat down and played it. It took forever, like way too long. The downtime was horrific. And even though the concept was nice, it just didn't really wow me and I never really want to play it again. It was just a bit too, I don't know, a little bit dull. It was just far too long for what it was. You didn't make anywhere near enough decisions in that game to warrant the time you spent on it. So I was a little bit hesitant at first to try out Dungeon Pets because I thought, same designer, same publisher, same sort of universe... But hang on a minute, we get to raise monsters as little pets and put them in a crust-style show? Okay, that sounds a bit more humorous. So I gave it a shot. Wow, was my expectations severely raised when we started playing this. Because if you thought Dungeon Lords didn't really have that much of a theme, and it was mostly just the mechanics, Dungeon Pets is the... Well, it still has some fairly good mechanics in it, but the theme is back. The theme is in this game and it's pretty strong if only just because the rule book has backstories for every space on the board and every little monster that you get. Essentially in Dungeon Pets it's a standalone game in that Dungeon Lords universe where you breed and then sell pets. You may not necessarily sell the pet, you might put it in a sort of craft style show where it gets points depending on whether it meets certain criteria, like is it really playful, is it really hostile, and that kind of thing. And you can even bribe the judges slightly in order to give you more points, because all your workers are imps, and there's loads of cool little thematic elements in the rulebook as to why the imps are doing this, and to what crazy antics they get up to when taking care of pets. And the pets are really great. There's loads of them, they grow up, they have more requirements, whether it's food or playtime or poop. Yes, you actually have to clean up poop in this game. You'd be surprised how much certain pets can poop all over the place and how much of a frustration it can be to clean it up in time, otherwise they get sick and potentially die. Yeah, pets can die in this and it actually feels kind of bad when they do. It doesn't happen all that often in terms of they die, but it can happen. And it is quite amusing that in one of the bits in the rule book, it mentions that when, if you don't buy a pet, it goes to the local farm, and then, without any thematic tie-in at all, meat appears in the market. Yeah. Okay, you could dress it up all you like in the rule book, but we all know why that's happening, right? Still, it's a nice little touch to make it a bit more kid-friendly. And generally, I just really enjoyed it. I laughed out loud with this game at the backstories that each of the pets have whether it's this giant fish with teeth stuck in a goldfish bowl or whether it's this like half rhino half unicorn thing it's there's some weird pets in there little baby kafuli and a little baby golem they're really cool little pets and you just can't help but get sucked into the theme now it is long you know, it took a while with three players. I think four players might be a bit overkill, but two or three players, and you are looking at a good minimum two-hour game. Probably longer, actually, especially if you're learning it. It's a long Euro game. 
but it's a Euro game that, considering this is Vladislavatl, who theme-wise is a hit and miss with me, this is a pretty strong theme. It's got some good strategy, it's got some good artwork and presentation, the board is a little bit well, not clunky, but there's a lot going on on that board. So at first you're like, oh, well, what do I do? What do I do? But, you know, stick with it and read the rules and you'll find it's actually a little bit easier to get into than you originally thought. But anyway, this was a great surprise. Tempted to get it for my collection, Dungeon Pets. The third first impression I'm not going to dwell on too long because I intend to give this one a full review whether in written form or audio form by the time I finish the whole thing. However, I have played now through just about half of the entire Pandemic Legacy campaign. Yes, finally we got it to the table. A group of of mates that I have who are big Pandemic fans were willing to sit down with me and play this campaign. Now granted, out of the group I'm probably the person in there who likes Pandemic the least. You know, I don't mind it. It's a cooperative game and it does get you thinking, but it's a bit abstract for my liking. But everybody went on about Pandemic Legacy and how it shot up the board game geek tracks and everything. So it seemed like now was a good time to actually tackle this hype train because that kind of seems to be my shtick. You know, tackling hype trains and finding out the truth. Now, obviously, I'm not going to give this a full review now. This is just a first impression because I've only played the first few months. I believe we're in June, and so we've done all the way up till the end of May. We have lost twice and won all the other games. So I think we've played seven games in total. Yeah, five months and two losses. So yeah, seven games. So far, though, I am enjoying it. The legacy aspect is a cool thing. The... If you thought you knew how Pandemic works, then think again, because there are some pretty drastic changes it goes through in this game. However, I still don't know why it's getting all the rage that it is and managed to get to number one in Board Game Geek. The game is fun, and I'm not going to give away any spoilers, but some of the things that happen are quite humorous, but you can see them coming a mile away. You know, most people guess what sort of surprises this game's going to throw at you before you've even started playing. So when certain things do happen, it's not quite as shocking as it was before, except in how the mechanics of the game drastically change, which is probably the coolest thing about it. Now, it's certainly easy enough that I reckon that even if you didn't know how to play Pandemic at all, you could easily jump into this. And you might struggle a bit with the overall strategy, but I reckon you don't have to play normal games of Pandemic to jump into this one, and that is credit to the game. But I still don't get all the hype. It's a good game so far. I mean, I'm not going to, like, blitch, you know, what's the blitch? I'm not going to, like, slag it off or anything like that now. I'm enjoying it. I want to play it again. I look forward to the next session, which I think will be next week, Wednesday, when we're going to play another two free games. And I look forward to finishing the campaign. But it's going to have to throw more than just occasional stickers and the, some theme elements that you can kind of see ahead of time. It's going to have to give me more to really wow me this game. 
Now, it's not like I'm not going to get my money's worth out of it. I'm going to be getting probably a good 18 games out of it by the time we're done. And that will be pretty awesome when that happens. And I am still enjoying it. I certainly prefer this much more than the original Pandemic. Although saying that, I still think my best experience with Pandemic is when you put the lab expansion with it. Because then you actually introduce a good amount of theme in the game. Pandemic Legacy has some extra theme with the whole campaign story arc. But... It's still reasonably abstract in the way it works, even though there are some aspects that are pretty cool. So, so far, so good. Pandemic Legacy is a good game, and I look forward to playing it more throughout the next few months' worth in-game, that is. I'm certainly not going to take a few months to finish it off. We're hoping to get it finished by the end of April, because one of the players is expecting a third kid. But I digress. But I just need more... It's got to throw something more in my face to really wow me. Otherwise, this might just end up as a, ah, that was good, but number one, really? You know, that kind of argument. So we'll see how things go. I will report more once we are fully done. It will either be another audio-only review or it will be a full written review. Chances are it will be an audio one because I think it's easier to talk about Pandemic Legacy rather than write, especially when you've got to avoid spoilers. And we'll see how things go from there. So, so far so good. Pandemic Legacy. Okay, everyone, time for another One More Game segment. And One More Game is the segment I use when I talk about a game that I've had in my collection for some considerable time, and I give my verdict as to whether it's worth keeping, whether it might be hitting the trade pile soon, or my thoughts and impressions on how the game plays after having played it many times over a long period. A lot of podcasters aren't doing this sort of thing, and it it's one that people cry out for. So I'm going to try and make this segment more regular than I have been. Maybe I'll make this like an actual regular every single podcast episode because people do like these things. Anyway, stop waffling. Let's get on with it. Smash Up is my chosen title for today. Smash Up was one of the first games I bought and it was just the base set with eight factions in it and it did me well to begin with. Smash Up is one of those, they call it shuffle building. If you think of deck builders where you start off with some basic cards and then you build it up, well here, yes you start off with basic cards but you don't build them up. What you do is that you take a deck for each faction you want to use and shuffle them together and that's your deck. You don't add to it or anything like that but you take two decks that play very differently from each other, shuffle them together and see what happens. Now, these factions range from pirates to robots to zombies and to wizards. And with the expansions that have come out since, it has got ridiculous. You have got most stuff from Cthulhu Legends. You've got killer plants. You've got ghosts. You've got werewolves. You've got uh, munchkin expansions now. You've just had an expansion release that was voted on by the fans, of which, side note, Haha, superheroes, well done, I suggested that one. But, you know, there's so much out there now that the combos have got ridiculous. And the storage was becoming a pain until they brought in the Geeky Box, which is a fantastic storage solution. Keeps all the cards sleeved, has fantastic dividers, you know, you know, upper deck, take note, this is how you make dividers. But anyway, and it's been really cool. It's a game I really enjoy. However... 
I am noticing some niggles with the game, and it's more as a relation of build. Sorry, it's more as a result of getting too many expansions because it's getting very bloated. I like variety. Don't get me wrong. And in this, I love having all this variety. The problem is, is that each expansion that comes out introduces new mechanic rules with certain things. Like the Munchkin expansion brought in different decks, you know, monster decks that worked, and treasure decks that worked with the characters. They don't work for any of the other eight, um, the other factions. So if one person uses one faction from any of the Munchkin things, you've then got to bring those decks out. And other ones use different things, like certain ones mess around with plus one tokens, and the Cthulhu lot, which is probably the weakest expansion of the lot, use the Madness deck, and you've got to throw that in. On top of that, you've also got the locations for the base cards, and they clearly are themed towards particular factions and particular expansions, but there's no way to differentiate them. I don't believe there's any like little symbol or any number or anything like that on the base cards to show, oh yeah, this came from the Munchkin lot. Oh, this came from the uh, Awesome Power 9000 expansion or something. And that means that the locations get very mixed and really random at times. And you obviously don't want to have a location that talks about pulling monsters from a monster deck if you're not using any factions that use monsters. So it's getting a bit bloated for its own good. However, I still enjoy playing the game, but I still can't get this to the table very often because not enough people sort of latch onto the idea of it. They think it's a bit too kiddie or they'll think it's a a bit too random in sense. And another problem is that, I don't know whether it's just me, but I keep finding all the analysis paralysis players I can find when I show this to people. I refuse to play this with four players because it just takes far too long. Three players is as much as I would like. Two players is ideal, but three players is still fine. But why do I seem to find people that every time I show this game to them, they just freeze when it comes to their options? Now, okay, there's several bases on the on the table, and there's a lot of abilities to read. But there's only so many. The cards don't go into a great deal of detail as to what abilities they are. They're generally pretty self-explanatory, and you just have two things you do on your turn. One minion, one action. How hard can it be to take your go in less than five minutes? You know, this comes from recent games that I've played of Smash Up, where it's just infuriating to see somebody get analysis paralysis over what is meant to be a very quick shuffle together and have some fun type of game. You know, if you want to freeze during a massive Euro, or freeze maybe during a game of Sentinels in the Multiverse, where there's all sorts of abilities going off, then fine. But in Smash Up, it's not that difficult. And you shouldn't really be playing it as a strategic game-winning thing. You should just be shuffling together two factions and having laughs as to how they play. I mean, have your cleric dinosaurs, have your kitty cat killer plants, you know, have your... Actually, no, I had werewolf kitty plants last time. That was kind of weird. But it's more about the theme than it is about the mechanics and winning. And yet I seem to be finding player after player who, when I show this to them, treat it as something it shouldn't be. And that is starting to grate a little bit. And the fact that I never want to play this with four players means that I don't often get two players to the table anyway, which means I have to 
have that magic number three and it's a big box to carry around with all these cards i'm getting to the point where i'm not sure if i want to get the newest expansion just because there's so much i've already got in the box and i've barely played some of the most recent expansions because i've had to show off more of the simpler ones so it's really hard to sum this one up i still want to keep this in my collection partially because i've invested so much in it but also partially because i still enjoy it but it is getting difficult to bring this to the table and I wish more players in the UK warmed up to Smash Up because it is still a cool concept and it is still a fun game. Granted, there are deck builders that are probably better, even though this is technically shuffle building and to be fair, it would be cool to see this theme used in some other game, maybe, you know, someone to take the mechanic and run with it. But, you know, I still enjoy Smash Up. It's just getting very difficult to get to the table in comparison to, say, three quarters of a year ago. Certainly this time last year, it was easier to get Smash Up to the table. Nowadays, the last few months, it's been pretty difficult. I mean, yeah, okay, I'm getting review copies and stuff in, and I have to get all the hot newness stuff, hot newness, the new hotness reviewed on a regular basis, but it's still hard to get Smash Up played. And maybe some of that's down to some of the organizing things. I've seen people put on Board Game Geek the special like things you can laminate, which have the base card and a way to track the power on them. Like if you've got a spare cube or a counter or something. I think I really need to print those out and get them laminated because that's one thing that slows this game down dramatically. Constantly people going, now if I do this, that power goes up by 2, but then that power goes up by 4. Hang on, can we just total those up again? That's 5, 12, 60. And that does slow the game down and it gets a bit frustrating. Apparently these little base card sheets solve that problem. So I think this is probably a high priority for me to pimp up Smash Up and get those printed because I reckon that will speed up play dramatically and make life easier for new players. So one more game for Smash Up? Yeah, just stay away from analysis paralysis players. Okay, new top 10 for this episode, top 10 fantasy games. Now, this was a little bit worrying for me to do for several reasons. Firstly, as much as I like fantasy, the generic style of fantasy is starting to grate at how often it's pasted onto a lot of games. And when I tried to come up with a decent set of 10, I realized that there's actually not that many fantasy games that I really like to a great extent now don't worry i love all these 10 games that i've put on including my honorable mentions but i was starting to run out of choices after that and some of that is down to having not played a couple of games like i will concede i have not played mage no not mage yeah mage wars i've not played mage wars and i have not played war of the ring or the battle of five armies that came out after it but i really do want to play all those games so if somebody has them please show me them but otherwise, they're not going to be on the list. Spoiler alert. It's just, that's the way it is. But I still think I've come up with 10 games I would consider to be fantasy games. And there's the other worrying aspect right there. Because defining fantasy is such a pain in top 10s everywhere. The Dice Tower did their top 10 fantasy games. And there was a lot of debate about what they considered to be fantasy and I agree with some of them, and not with others. But here's a definition for you, straight off Wikipedia. 
Fantasy is a genre of fiction that uses magic or other supernatural events uh, elements, sorry, as a main plot element, theme, or setting. Many works within the genre take place in imaginary worlds where magic and magical creatures are common. Now, I'm going to be using that definition for my top 10 here. And if you don't agree that a particular game on here is fantasy, that's fine. I'd certainly be interested to hear in the comments on BoardGameGeek when I put this geek list up, or just on my blog in general or on Twitter, why you think a particular game isn't fantasy. However, I think I'm relatively safe with the majority of choices here. There's maybe one or two, two max I reckon, where you might think, hmm, hang on a minute. Now, this isn't just simply, ooh, what's got the biggest fantasy setting. It's a mix of how much the fantasy theme is brought out, coupled with how much I enjoy the game anyway. So both of those factors will play a part, and we'll see how things go. This was a bit of a tricky list to make. However, I already did sci-fi, so it makes sense that I should do fantasy. And I do love sci-fi and fantasy movies, so this is a softball for me in some sense it's just it translates better for me in film than it does in board games but let's see how we get on with top 10 fantasy games starting now number 10 is a dungeon crawl with a twist in that you can attack each other Yep, not many dungeon crawls allow you to do this, but in Arcadia Quest, that is the main aspect of the game. You are controlling a wealth of different fantastical characters, be it your atypical Amazonian warrior, to a magic spellcaster, to a... I suppose, what is it? A giant, you know, elf archer. But mainly, you're also fighting ogres and trolls, and in more expansions, you're fighting undead and demons and flinging spells all over the place. It's a fantasy game, you cannot deny that. Even if the characters aren't necessarily fantastical, although tell that to uh, Biggles, or whatever his name is, the uh, demonic bunny rabbit of death, as I call him. You know, he's such a cool character. But yeah, tell me that's not fantasy when you see him running around. Now, the game is really cool. It's very well produced. This is probably Cool Mini or Not's best work to date. And yes, I mean that very, very sincerely, all you Blood Rage fanatics out there. But I'd still get a kick out of this one. I don't own it because it's difficult to get Dungeon Crawls to the table and I'm not going to own every single one. But when I've played this game, that when my mates have brought it out, I've really enjoyed it. The PvP aspect is back and forth, so it's not like you're constantly being wailed on. You get to come back and you know take out a weak player at some point, but even then, you can go kill all the orcs and goblins in a way that are essentially walking bags of gold, and it's a good laugh with the whole chibi style. Really good fun. Arcadia Quest. Number 9 is also a dungeon crawl. It is also the last dungeon crawl on this list. Well, I suppose you could argue the next one is sort of a dungeon crawl, but not quite. But this is the main dungeon crawl that everybody really talks about when they talk about fantasy. And that is Descent 2nd Edition. Descent 2.0, whatever you want to call it. This is 
the best dungeon crawl game I find for a fantasy setting out there at the moment. It's about as crystal clear fantasy as you can get in terms of the characters you play and the monsters you fight. Now granted there are a couple of rules that Imperial Assault did better, mainly with regards to the turn sequence, but all in all Descent 2.0 still has a really cool campaign, still has great, you know, a great artwork and great presentation, cool campaigns, a semi-decent exploration feel, although it could be improved, and I'm looking very much forward to this new app that Fantasy Flight is bringing out, which I think they've called it Road to Legend or something, basically copying the first edition expansion, and it sounds cool to be able to play this as a co-op, possibly even solo. Hmm, interesting. I've always wanted apps to be more widely used in games. I feel that the innovation is there right for the taking ever since the days of XCOM where that just blew my mind as to how well an app could be used with a board game. So come on Fantasy Flight, wow me with this one. But even without it, Descent 2.0 is still a great fantasy dungeon crawl game and worth checking out. Number eight. Now, the theme, you could argue, doesn't get brought out as much in this one, but I do enjoy playing it more, and it's not quite a dungeon crawl. It's an adventure card game, to be more exact, and that is the Pathfinder adventure card game. Doesn't matter which set you're using, whether it's the base set or the uh, Pirates one, which I currently own and I'm running through, slowly but surely, and the recent one, which is more about going into the various layers of hell and doing demons. I swear demons seem to be a thing, actually, when it comes to the third set in a particular chain. It always seems to be, because I think Arcadia Quest did the same thing. I think their third set was mostly demons as well. Kind of weird. But I suppose in fantasy, you're going to have to dive into hell at some point. But Pathfinder Adventure Card Game, whichever set you use, is good fun. You have your characters and they level up over time, and that is a concept that works very well in a lot of games. Having this character that you get attached to with their items and their skills, and then getting new loot every game. It really does work as a very cool little deck builder, well, semi-deck builder. The idea being that you have your deck in each game and you play through it and then the other items you acquire in your deck or spells or whatever you can chop and change your deck between each scenario and the scenario plays a fairly good storyline it's not dripping with theme as some stories could be but it's still enjoyable to play regardless of whether it's by yourself which tends to be the way I play it or whether you do manage to find a couple of friends to play it with it's still good fun I personally think so far I prefer Skulls and Shackles, but I think the Demon set, I think it's called Wrath of the Righteous, is pretty good as well. So those two sets would be the ones that I would choose to pick out rather than the base set. I think these two have surpassed the base set now, but Pathfinder, the adventure card game, pick a set, run with it, it's a cool fantasy game, go with it. Number seven, and you're probably going to think this a little bit cliche putting this on the list, especially as it's like, well, still the hotness even after all these years, especially since it was released in, what, like 1993 or something, you know, stupidly old. And even though I don't play this game anymore, I would happily play a game if someone handed me a starter deck. 
It sucked away a lot of my life and a lot of my cash during university times. And the players I met varied in terms of decent and psychologically impaired in a violent sort of manner. Not a stupid way. There were some people that took the game far too seriously. But you can't deny that Magic the Gathering is a really cool fantasy game. The mechanics of it are really nice. They're fairly smooth. Granted, some expansions did overcomplicate things a bit. But you are a summoner. You are putting monsters on the board, you are slinging spells, you have all the different elements of nature that work in different ways, like the earth is about pumping up your creatures to stupid heights and protection, the blue is all about counterspelling and doing all sorts of weird shenanigans, black is all about undead and death, and red is all about burning everything in sight. It's a really cool game. Now, I think it's got far too bloated for its own good and certainly it's a nightmare to keep up with it at the moment but this whole cycling thing that they're planning to do might breathe some more life into the game for the foreseeable future well it's not like it needs much life brought into it because let's face it it's still doing well to this day but i can't deny it even though i don't play it anymore this was still one of the most fun games i played during university times magic the gathering classic fantasy the best ccg out of all the CCGs that have ever come out. Number six is a co-op game, and some people... This is this is one of those ones that I said at the start where you might argue it's not quite fantasy, and I can see where you're going with this, so if you disagree with my choice, fair enough. But Z Garcia thought it was fantasy, and I sort of agree with him. And that's Ghost Stories. Now, as I said, a genre of fiction that uses magic or other supernatural elements. Supernatural can include ghosts. It can include horror. And I don't think horror is something that should be, you know, sandwiched into its own little niche category. Because you can have sci-fi horror. You can have fantasy horror. You can have real-world life horror. Horror is more of a supplement than it is its own basic category. So I think fantasy horror is perfectly feasible and Ghost Stories involves a magical, you know, a magical Asian wizard that's effectively bringing up all these ghosts, you know, necromancer or something like that. And you're fighting all these weird nasty ghosts with monk powers and if you get the expansion you're able to summon like a a goddess to help you in your way and you're doing all sorts of cool fantastical things. So I don't see why this doesn't meet the genre. Anyway, enough of that. Ghost Stories itself is a hard co-op game. And I mean hard. This one will beat you down before you've even opened the box. Actually, as you open the box, a hand comes out of the box and slaps your face. And that's just the beginning. This one is not an easy game to win. But boy, is it worth it when you do. And you will. It will happen. But trust me, it's not going to be a pushover. Now, there is an element of luck with the dice, but the ghosts, the artwork is really cool. The game is very much a team co-op. You know, you cannot be a lone ranger in this game. You must work together. There's a lot of tactical choices you can make. It's really cool, and I wish I... I need to get it to the table soon, actually. It's been far too long since I played this. I've got the White Moon expansion, which is a big improvement on some of the stuff you can do. I don't think you need the Black Secret one. That doesn't really appeal to me. But I think Ghost Story's base game is still great. With the White Moon, it's even better. This is a really cool fantasy horror, quote-unquote, game that deserves more attention. 
Number five, and this is going to be the controversial choice of the list. Not in the fact of whether it's fantasy or not, because if you don't think this game is fantasy, then there is something wrong with you, surely. But because most people would want a certain cool mini or not game to appear on this list. But earlier on I said that Arcadia Quest was their best game they brought out. So does that mean Blood Rage didn't make this list? Oh, what a shame. But its predecessor did, which I believe is far better in most ways. And that is Chaos in the Old World. Chaos in the Old World is essentially Blood Rage, but more complicated. To be honest. It uses a lot of the same mechanics, and it reminds me a lot... When I play Blood Rage, I'm reminded a lot of Chaos in the Old World. But I prefer Chaos in the Old World for several reasons. One... The asymmetrical gameplay. Yes, you get new stuff, you know, new upgrades and Blood Rage, but a lot of them just repeat themselves throughout the various tiers, and they're not that interesting. But in this, you have four, possibly five with the expansion, completely different well, races or factions that play very differently. Their winning conditions are different, their special abilities are different, their models that they use are different. It's... You know, it's about as well-designed and asymmetrical game as you possibly can get, and one of Eric Lang's best. Not his absolute best, I still think XCOM is, but this is one of his best. And the board itself is human skin, you know, you can see it nailed down, and some people might take exception to that, you know, going a bit too graphic, but I just think it suits the whole Warhammer Fantasy theme. This is the best Warhammer Fantasy board game I think that's come out. I do enjoy this a lot. It doesn't hit the table as often as, well, if I was going to give Blood Rage some credit, Blood Rage is easier to get to the table and easier to learn. Chaos in the Old World requires a little bit more input and is a longer game in general, but I still really like Chaos in the Old World. Generally, you have to play it with as many players as possible. Three is fine, but I think you need a full count of four to make it really shine, and five is pretty good when you get the expansion, but four is enough. It makes a very good four-player, really cutthroat game because you're getting in each other's faces with your special abilities and your monsters and your your giant avatar you know whether it's the the big unclean one or the bloodthirster that just rips you apart it's really cool really like this one chaos in the old world sorry blood rage bye bye Number four, and you might be able to argue that the theme could be replaced with other things, but I get a kick of the fantasy theme when I'm playing this one, and this was in my top 10 during my top 75 list. I think it's probably dropped a little bit, but I still really enjoy this one, and that is Seasons. In Seasons, you are wizards essentially taking part in this giant magic tournament that lasts for three years, and you are manipulating the weather to your own ends. You roll these what has to be the best dice I have ever seen in a board game ever, and these barely even classify as dice. They are more like boulders. They are so huge. And you gain mana based on the elements, and you cast spells, whether they be monsters or magic artifacts, and it's all based on the elements or what weather it is during the year as to what is easier to summon than others. In winter, for example, it's easier to get, you know, uh, 
air, sorry, a water. Water appears more in winter. If you get into the spring, it's easier to get the earth, and in the summer, it's easier to get fire. It's a really cool timer mechanic as to when the game ends as well, because you can make time go slower, or sometimes even reverse it depending on the items, but you can make time speed up or slow down depending on which dice you leave behind during the drafting phase, which is how you choose your dice after rolling them. And then the spells themselves, the artwork is gorgeous and it's all magical and fantastical. Granted, I can argue, sorry, I can see people arguing that maybe this one isn't as dripping or with theme as others, but I still think it's fairly strong and it does fit the fantasy you know, definition, I think, in my opinion. So Seasons, a really cool drafting game. One of my favourite drafting games that exists. Number four. Number three is going to have the same argument as Ghost Stories did. I don't believe horror has to be in its own genre. However, I'm going to disagree with Sam Healy where he put this on his sci-fi horror section on his list for sci-fi games. Now, I can see the argument for why it might be sci-fi, but whether or not the creator believes it to be sci-fi himself... I'm sorry, but Eldritch Horror slash Arkham Horror is my number three, and I think it fits fantasy more than it does sci-fi. Because in here, you have some elements of magic. There is certainly magic and hexes and stuff like that involved. There is plenty of supernatural elements. I mean, crying out loud, have you seen some of the horror creatures that are in this? They are capable of giving you nightmares. Some of them are really nasty. And it's an imaginary world in a sense, an imaginary world. Yes, it's Earth, but it's an imaginary setting where magic and magical creatures are common. Well, common for Arkham Horror, anyway. So, I think this fits fantasy more than sci-fi. But I digress. Eldritch Horror and Arkham Horror, brilliant horror cooperative games. Whether it's Arkham Horror and you're going around Arkham doing all the encounters and battling the Ancient One in probably the most thematic of the two in terms of its story and counter cards. But Eldritch Horror is that little bit easier to get to the table and also just a bit more accessible for other players and plays out much like a kind of almost like Indiana Jones meets Cthulhu type scenario where you're going over the world and solving mysteries that are all different based on the ancient one you're fighting and encountering monsters and shutting off portals to other dimensions it's really cool dripping theme game i mean when you read those encounter cards you are sucked into that story there is good immersion and you you, i mean you have to help it along a little bit if you just sit there and just casually read the card going you know it's going to bore you yeah it's not going to be good you've got to immerse yourself in that theme but i really enjoy eldritch and arkham horror i still think arkham horror is the daddy but only by a little bit however It has to be said, I have got more games of Eldritch Horror played in the last year than I have Arkham Horror. In fact, I can't even remember the last time I played Arkham Horror because it's difficult to get it to the table with all those expansions and slightly clunky rule system. So, I I can't bring myself to get rid of Arkham Horror because when it does get played, probably when I've moved house and I've got a bigger table for it, it's going to be awesome. But certainly Eldritch Horror has had more plays and that's why I've kind of got them to share the list because they are both essentially the same thing. Going around, battling an ancient one, using any sort of fantastical thing you can find to battle fantastical evil horrors that live out there. It's essentially the same setting. But really cool, one of my favourite co-ops, Eldritch and Arkham Horror.
Number two was in my top 20, and it's probably going to stay there in the next time I do my top 75, or shall we say top 100? Might happen, you never know. But this one has been rising up a little bit. I've been really excited to get this one back to the table, and recently I did, just at a typical setting, uh, sorry, setting, session at the Board in the City Cafe I mentioned earlier. I was able to get Argon the Consortium to the table again, and it is hard to get to the table because it is a brain-burning beast. There is so much you can do in this game in terms of options, just in the setup alone, let alone when you're playing it. You know, bear in mind, you have a B-side for everything in this game. And you'll think, oh yeah, Seven Wonders has got B-sides for its boards. It's nothing that spectacular. Um, let me explain. There is a deck of spells that you can level up twice. So there's three different spells technically on each card. There is a deck of supporters that have all different abilities. There is a deck of items that some are consumable, some are constant, and they all do magical weird effects. There is rooms that you go into with your workers. The rooms have B-sides. The workers have special abilities, and they all have B-sides as well. Seriously, the amount of options you have in this game is insane. But when you get into it, it's a really great thematic Euro game. Essentially, to explain the plot a bit better, it's a bit like Hogwarts, the board game. The dean of a magic university has died, and it is now basically all the teachers have rallied to say, right, who's going to be the next new dean? There is a consortium that votes on who should get the position. However, the votes, the, the consortium members themselves, what they're looking for is hidden information. You know a little bit at the start, but you have to do various actions by worker placement in order to find out what the other consortium voters are looking for. So one of them might like a particular type of magic in the university. So if you're focusing on blue protection and healing magic, then one voter is going to like you. One might want all the gold, one might want all the intelligence, you know, that kind of thing. But the worker placement is really cool as well because it's very tight, there's not many spaces for you to go on, and because some of the mages that you put down actually take out other mages, it can get pretty nasty as well. But I really love this one. It's a table hog, it's a brain burner, it's very difficult to get at the table. But when it does, I love it to bits. Argent the Consortium, fantasy game number two. Before we get to my number one, here are some honourable mentions. Tales of Arabian Nights. This has slumped out of my top 75, but it's still a really cool, very humorous fantasy style game. You are battling monsters, you are talking with genies, there's definitely a lot of magic involved in this game, but it is essentially the choose your own adventure style book in a board game. That is exactly what this is. You will go off on various adventures and you will dictate what it is you're going to do when you come across each encounter. And the amount of humour in this game just will have you out of your chair laughing at times. But sadly it has kind of fallen by the wayside and I don't have my copy anymore so it didn't really make the top 10. But it's still a really cool fantasy game, Tales of the Arabian Nights. Small World. 
small world in that you have creatures from just about every fantasy area and genre that you can think of even in the base set you've got your normal orcs and goblins and skeletons and things like that but when you get the expansions you've got all sorts of fantastical creatures going at each other fighting each other in kind of pseudo risk style it's deterministic combat so there's very little dice rolling there's an element but not much but in this it is pure fantasy all the creatures combine in lots of different ways with different personality traits that give them special abilities it's a really cool fantasy game just a bit of a pain to teach the new players because of all the looking up on the reference sheets they have to do with the abilities and that's why it didn't quite make my number my top 10 but still a really cool game small world Okay, time for the number one, and to be honest, was this really a surprise? I think as soon as I said top 10 fantasy games, I think a lot of you easily knew which one was going to make my number one. Yes, you've seen my Twitter posts about it, you've seen my Facebook posts about it, as I have tried to solo quest my way through the various campaigns in this very difficult living card game that is the Lord of the Rings LCG. Yep, this is my definitive Lord of the Rings game. Now granted, I'm sure the theme in something like War of the Ring and Battle of Five Armies is probably stronger, but I haven't played those games, so sorry. But for me, this is my quintessential Lord of the Rings game that I enjoy. Here, I can take heroes and villains that I've liked from the show, from, sorry, to the show, from the movies, but then I can also get to know characters that have been invented for campaigns in this system, but also ones that have appeared in the novels. And I have listened to the audiobooks of the novels, so some of it makes more sense to me, even though it is quite a lot to absorb. But in this, the living card game format suits it well, especially as it's a cooperative game. You don't have to worry about whether someone's got more cards available than you do, because in the end, you're working together. You're trying to beat the bad guys, and that's why this works so well. Now granted, I mainly play this solo. It's rare that I've ever played it as a two-player, but as my probably my favorite solo game next to Sentinels in the Multiverse, this one has just been a classic for me. I've got lots of the cards, the quests are very difficult, and it really puts your deck building skills to the limit. You have to be really good at deck building to get along with this game, but it will teach you a lot in that time. The community is really good and helpful because in the end, Nobody's competitive. People want to work together to win this thing. And the podcasts that are out there, like Tales from the Cardboard and the Great Company podcast, that kind of thing, Hall of Bjorn Bog, Bog, Hall of Bjorn Blog, sorry about that, mate, you know, they're all great resources to help you get into this game if you're a new player. But I really love this. Whether I am assaulting a fortress or escorting a wounded eagle or trying to get Gollum back to the you know to the white wizard in order to be questioned or soon I am going to be battling Shelob using the saga expansions which are really dripping with theme if you think that some of the quests and some of the characters 
lose a bit of their thematic sense sometimes, play the Saga expansions and then tell me that. In my next time I play this game, I'm going to be tackling the Land of Shadow Saga expansion quests, and first up is dealing with Shelob, which considering I am an arachnophobe, is going to be a mix of fun and heart attacks. So we'll see how that goes. But enough waffling with that. Lord of the Rings LCG, my absolute no-brainer favorite fantasy game out of all the choices that I came up with. This was the immediate, oh yeah, Lord of the Rings LCG at number one. This was the quick pick for me. So that's my number one fantasy game, Lord of the Rings LCG. Right, well we got through that, and probably in good time actually, because I can feel my throat is probably about to give way. Yep guys, know how much I suffered to bring you this podcast today. You know, I'm not fully recovered from a cold, and I'm still trying to record an hour-long podcast. Oh well, needs must, the show must go on, I guess. But... Thank you for bearing with me, whether the voices sounded a bit weird or anything like that. I do apologize. It's difficult to do this when your throat is kind of blocked up and your head's feeling a bit weird. Hopefully I should get well soon. I should be fine at StabCon. It's just trying to talk for an hour-long session is proving a little bit difficult. Now, obviously, the audio reviews are going to carry on. The first one, with Pursuit of Happiness, has already been uploaded, and it got very good feedback, not just from publishers and designer, but also from people who listened to it. So I'm going to be continuing that on. How often they'll come out varies. I'll try to get them out more regularly than I'm doing at the moment, but it's just been a very busy month. Things are going to mellow out in April, I think, despite the fact that I'm an accountant and there is going to be some side client work I need to get on with, but generally I should be able to start getting on with reviews. Next written review should be Zombicide Black Plague. I have played that enough times to get a full review out, so look out for that soon. And the next audio review, as I said in the previous one, will be the expansion to Nations, which is Dynasties. The podcast segment that I've been giving into the Tice Tower recently with what I called the Welcome Map before... Now, the second episode of that has been handed in to Eric Summer, so hopefully you'll see that in either the next one or the one after that. I'm, I'm expecting it'll be in the next one, not the one that's just come out this week, but the next podcast at the Dice Tower do. I reckon you'll hear the episode in that. Now, again, that got pretty good feedback, so I'm going to continue that on. However, it will be known as Starting Tile now, rather than the Welcome Mat, because it was pointed out to me that the Welcome Mat has a double meaning in the Urban Dictionary, which I did not want associated with a family-friendly podcast. So, Starting Tile seemed like a much more apt name to give it. I think it suits it in many ways, particularly as my blog logo is essentially a Carcassonne portrait, and... You know, we'll see how that goes. But now, with audio reviews and the Dice Tower segment and this podcast and written reviews, there's obviously a lot that I'm doing by myself. So we'll just have to see how well I can cope with all that whilst I'm getting on with the rest of my life. And of course, when I move house in October, maybe some of the audio stuff will stop. Maybe like the Dice Tower segments and the audio reviews will stop in favour of potentially getting back onto video, which I'm sure most people prefer anyway. So, 
that's it from me for now for episode 42, the answer to the ultimate question. Join me on episode 43 in roughly a month's time where I'll have another one more game segment, more first impressions and a new top 10. But for now, I better start preparing for StabCon tomorrow evening and getting this one edited whilst enjoying some more Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So that's it from me. Take care, enjoy the hobby, and I hope to see some of you guys and play some games this weekend. I appreciate you taking the time to listen to my podcast. Thank you for your continued support. If you wish to find out more, you can check out the website at www.brokenmeeple.blogspot.co.uk. Alternatively, you can chat to me on Twitter at The Broken Meeple or search for my Facebook page under, of course, The Broken Meeple. This podcast is dedicated to the gamers like you who play the games I love. So take care, have fun and enjoy the hobby.